2: What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of BlockHash, Exploring the Blockchain, episode 375. Today, I have Julian Figueroa and Isabella Santos here on the show to talk about Bitcoin, Bitcoin in Latin America, and an upcoming trip they have to Peru to explore, you guessed it, Bitcoin. Um, So, guys, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you here. How are you doing?
0: What's up, guys?
2: Thanks for
1: having us.
0: Excited to be here. They actually say it's good that you guys are meeting us before the trip because yesterday I was talking to one of the Bitcoiners in Peru and he was explaining to me that after the trip, the motive trip, when we're going to experience, um, let me do a little backdrop. We're going to, me and Julian are going to go in for like a nine day trip across all four villages in Peru and we're going to see how they're using Bitcoin. And the, this Bitcoiner was explaining how once we come back, it's we're going to be completely different people. He's like, you're not going to be the same after you experience the motive uh, experience in Peru.
2: I believe it because of the culture and, and the way of life down there.
0: Well, because the Bitcoin has helped save so many people in Peru. The, the thing is, Peru is a very rich country with its resources. But not economically. We've been kind of like fucked over by the government. Could I curse?
2: Yeah, you can curse um, all you want. Oh, okay. It, like Isabella, started.
0: is it
1: like five five of the last five presidents are in jail right now or something?
0: Yeah, it's something crazy. All of them that have been in past presidency have been to jail or some are currently in jail right now. Since the eighties, actually. The presidents since the eighties have Yeah, it's ridiculous. My mom has always, um, I was asking her about the history in Peru. And she was telling me like, yeah, it's always been dangerous growing up, you know. Um, She was telling me a story how when she went to school, people would call in her dad telling her, telling my mom's dad that they were going to um, sequestrar, I don't know how to say it, kidnap, that they were going to kidnap his daughters while they were in school. So we're talking about something that was like 40 years ago. So nothing has changed. It's still super dangerous. You can't walk around with your cell phone. And it's all because of the presidents. They don't know how to take care of the country. They just see for themselves. What they do is they steal so much money from the country and they put it into like their personal bank accounts. And once, yeah, they leave. I mean, for me, growing up, politics has always been corrupt.
2: Yeah, that's definitely a systemic problem across Latin America is the the corruption and the crime and, and the theft. Um, you know, Peru is definitely not immune to that. Neither is Colombia, which is where I live currently. Um, that stuff has been a problem for a very long time, too, um, albeit being a bit better these days than it has been in the past. Um but very curious to see and hear about your guys' trip once you go down there and what you learn. Um, cause I don't really think about Bitcoin when I think about Peru. So it's cool to hear that it's actually having an impact down there,
1: yeah, and i've I've been to like a few of these Bitcoin circular economies, and y- you have to use that word grain of salt because they're not super um they're not super circular a lot of the time. It's like, Know a couple stores will accept it in a given area, and it's mainly just like tourists who come in there and spend it. But everyone, like, day to day is using fiat. And the big difference with what's going on with the motive program it's like everyone, you know, if it's really installed in a town, it's like fully installed in one of those towns. So, you know, the goods are being sold in Bitcoin. I don't know if they're denominating in sats uh, or soles, if there's like a fixed SAT price for the goods and services people sell. But they're getting paid in bitcoin they're making the goods for bitcoin um when they sell to wholesalers or to other companies in the big cities they're getting paid in bitcoin as well um and then you know usually like when you're in one of these small towns you're just buying locally anyways except for like some things that you can't produce um so a lot of these people uh you won't find them on twitter you won't find them on like youtube talking about bitcoin but they're living a bitcoin standard which is pretty amazing, um, and it's going to be so exciting to like tell those stories for the first time. So, so and yeah. that's
0: something super interesting that you said that because when I've told people here in Peru about how they're using Bitcoin, one of the questions that always arises is like, "But they don't even have a bank account. How they how can they buy Bitcoin?" And it's this misconception that you need a bank account to have Bitcoin. You need to have a certain mm-hmm. amount of money to own Bitcoin, and it's not. Honestly, if you go back to what Satoshi tried to do that was revealed like when he said the white paper was an electronic uh, peer-to-peer cash system. And that's honestly what it is. They don't need to have a bank account. They don't need to go to BCP to open an account, give them their identity, because these people don't even, they probably don't even have like their IDs. We're talking about rural areas where they still eat their food from the ground, not like the, they harvest their own food you know they you're once you that's what i'm envisioning because there's there are communities that have been neglected by the government because there's the government is so fiat driven that they forget that these people are there and they don't give them that much priority and bitcoin gives them a voice bitcoin gives yeah. them the ability to be part of society without having to you know bitcoin is a human right after all you know
1: well what you'll find in like a lot of these like latin american south american countries is like they're sort of like the capital city and then there's everyone else and like with peruvian politics it's like there's people from lima and then there's everyone else and in el salvador there's like the san salvadorians and then there's everyone else and a lot of the time like at the expense of everyone who doesn't live in like the one capital city, the politicians are totally focused on just getting like the Lima vote. And that's why like the guy who recently, um, I don't know what the status is anymore of uh, Pedro Castillo, but when I was down there like a year ago, uh, they were basically trying to oust him. And I think they did right now, Um, but he ran on this platform in Peru of helping the rural communities and uh, he won like a rare victory there but then the pandemic came and i think all his plans kind of got turned upside down because peru had a, a really hard time during covid um but it all ended with like his government getting basically overthrown and i think now he's in jail um so because I mean, he was
0: that, stealing too to
1: show you like, <laughs> stole- like the lima politics rule that country
0: <laughs> well now there's a peruvian president uh woman president
1: she she was his vice president, I think, but I think like even she turned against him. I don't know. I'm gonna what
0: was Google the, what how was many presidents name? have been in Dina.
2: Dina 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 Bolu- Bolu- Boluarte. Yeah. Yes. Boluarte. I'm probably not saying it right, but Dina Boluarte, something like that. Okay, I got her pulled up right here.
1: You know, we'll we'll see what happens next with like peru in their politics but the main essence of the story is like if you are not in lima the politicians do not care about you you're lucky to get any attention on any range of issues um and then like let's just say you're out of lima that's one thing maybe you're in like another one of the big cities there like cusco and um, i don't know uh, pura or um, arequipa that's that's another thing too but when you're in one of these villages like the quechuan villages that we're going to in um Cusco outside of Cusco like they don't even speak Spanish in some of these we're actually going to have to have an interpreter uh to speak some of the native language to do conversions and and like I was there a year ago and they were saying like yeah in Quechua, like they don't have a word for goodbye like people just don't say goodbye there there's no official <laughs> translation of that word so uh, that's going to be fun you know trying to like go through that um, but yeah, like, it's amazing that all these people from all different walks of life, and and really, if you think about Peru, it should be like, feels like 10 different countries, we're going to basically go to like five places that feel like five different countries.
2: Um, it's it's amazing that they're all on Bitcoin at this point. Amazing that they don't have a word for goodbye, but they have some familiarity, at least with Bitcoin is kind of crazy.
0: One hundred percent
2: um, have you guys been to some other countries in Latin America where you've seen something very similar to what's happening in Peru, um, like El Salvador, for example, um, or elsewhere, where maybe Bitcoin is picking up a lot of steam and is being used as everyday payment and is is helping a lot of people in, in their daily lives?
0: Have you gone to El Salvador yet? No i still have not no i'm trying to go for the halving for my first time to be during that oh for
1: the halving oh, the having party nice that's my nice. goal yeah you're lucky because you're like direct flight there it's like a journey for me <laughs>
0: Yeah. um
1: so i've uh like i literally um for the last three weeks i've been doing that so i was in el salvador two three weeks ago uh, for the Adopting Bitcoin Conference. I've been there once before, two years ago, like a couple months after they did the Bitcoin law. Um, I've been to Guatemala. They have like a, a Bitcoin economy there called Bitcoin Lake in Panajachel. And then I've been to uh, Costa Rica. Last week, I was in Costa Rica um, and they have like a very small Bitcoin economy there. But one of the cool things is that uh, Bull Bitcoin, which is like one of the big Canadian Bitcoin companies, they've developed this way for Costa Ricans to basically pay anyone through the lightning network because costa rica has like their own version of cash app but it's like pretty ubiquitous there and it uses like mobile numbers and so you can download this bitcoin jungle app you can load it up with sats lightning or on chain and you can pay any single uh phone it just auto converts sort of like the strike thing um to colones on the spot so in costa Rica. Um, The merchants won't necessarily get Bitcoin if they're using this method, but you can live on a Bitcoin standard in Costa Rica. If you're getting paid in Bitcoin, you can buy anything (laughs) in Costa Rica on Bitcoin, which is cool.
2: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news?
0: How did this journey? How did you decide to go on this journey? Because I'm going on this journey because you invited me to it. But how did the idea come to be?
1: So, Mike Peterson, uh, who founded Bitcoin Beach, uh, basically he kicked off the whole thing in El Zante. And um, he saw the documentary I did on Guatemala when I did my Guatemala trip. And he was like, oh, you should check out Motive. And I looked at it and it was like, I, I couldn't believe it because they, they were doing like 15 circular economies there i was like well it seems like one is enough and um i spoke to one of the founders named richard and he explained the whole thing to me it wasn't like a tourism play at all it was we're going to we're, we're bringing in bitcoin because it's just more easy for them to you know receive finances for anything uh going to all these towns carrying soles is sometimes really dangerous um people run out of cash and all these places are not going to get on the digital banking standard so we just needed something for them to you know operate um some type of economy of scale there And I never think of Bitcoin like that. I always think of Bitcoin as like, oh, it's, you know, alternative to the fiat system. But for some people, like in certain situations, it's like the only option for digital banking. Um, And they found like a hell of a use case there in essentially going to these out, you know, out of the way villages to basically just give them a form of digital money because, you know, no matter where you are, everyone just has internet somehow. Uh, That still amazes me, honestly. Um, But yeah, I I talked to him for a bit and then, I was like, damn, I gotta go there. And then in September, uh Joe Nakamoto, uh, another great journalist in the space, and Paco de la India, who also does amazing videos, they went, uh, they've shared like a bunch of videos. And by that point, I was like already set to go down there. But that just convinced me like there was just so many stories to kind of unpack. And uh yeah, I figured, you know, I like making YouTube videos. Um, it's always hard to find like things on Bitcoin that haven't been done. Like Isabella, you probably know this more than anyone like a piece of news will come out and then you have to like get a piece of content out on that news ASAP or else it's like yesterday's story already. Um, So I try and look for things that like, number one, like don't have that rush attached to it, but also like where I can be like the first person sort of to tell the story. And we're almost the first people, Um, Joe and Paco beat us to it, but you know, beyond us, not many people are going to do this, uh, this video. So it's going to be a really like special kind of first look that we
2: get. Yeah, that sounds incredibly exciting. And when are you going down In, in here in December or or when? Today.
0: Oh, two days. Two days. <laughs> yeah. Two days.
2: Yeah. Awesome. Uh when do you think that that video will be put together and ready for people to see? Is that going to come out maybe in the beginning of the new year or what's the plan? Yeah, well, I I I like to like
1: overshoot the day that I plan to deliver, so I'll just say like mid-March, maybe April but if all things come together earlier than that. Um, the Like, I don't know how much backstory I should give on this, but like I've been doing YouTube videos kind of like independently for a long time um, and been getting some more traction. Like this year was a really great year for getting my, my, my growth and stuff out there. And the goal I have is to sort of build um, a new type of like media platform or, or group for Bitcoin content. So you have Bitcoin Magazine, this stuff for them you have you know the coin desk the t- coin telegraphs of the world but they're approaching a lot of the bitcoin content space kind of from like the the mainstream angle and i want to approach doing bitcoin content from something similar to like reason tv or daily wire where we do like you know journalistic stuff but we also have a lot of a lot more fun with it um you know don't worry about you know, my sponsors being mad if I say something off kilter, um, something closer to like, yes theory as well, or some of these travel blogs where, you know, independent right of speech to kind of make whatever content kind of strikes. The the difficulty with that is like figuring out what the monetization model is for, because unless you have like hundreds of thousands of followers, um, you can make all these videos, but you're never going to see a dime of that investment back. And so, so far, like one of the most uh, humbling and amazing things that's happened is, we did a geyser fund which is like a bitcoin kickstarter for this documentary and as of this morning we officially completed the raise we raised a quarter of a bitcoin to do all the production for this so we're gonna have people on camera we're flying around to like you know i think we have like six different flights we're taking in in nine days (laughs) um and 120 bitcoiners helped fund this and bring it to life so yeah, and it's still open if anybody wants to contribute. Um, we'll just put it into more editing or do dumps and stuff like that, or we'll just donate it. Um, but yeah, it's it's a you know it's crazy like trying all this stuff out and, and seeing some of it take, and I guess you know see what happens from here.
2: No, it's awesome to have such a good community outpour of support to do it. Um, you know, mm-hmm. that's one of the best things about the space is crowdfunding through Bitcoin too, especially for projects like this. Um, you know, that mm-hmm. might be the best way to to monetize this at some point and to actually get a lot of these things paid for so you can go have the adventure, boots on the ground, give the people what they want at the end of the day. Um, I think most Bitcoiners, you know, are wanting that kind of content, the ones that you're creating. Mm. Yeah, there's definitely demand for the content. I think the, the tricky part is like the
1: cost. And, you know, as awesome as like the crowdfunding is at the scale that I want to move it to, I can't you know, always crowdfund, um, you know, most YouTubers, they, I mean, you're in the same boat, right? Like you get ad revenue, you get sponsors. Um, running a podcast is much different than like going out and doing these like multi-country documentaries though. It's like way more capital intensive. And so the, the trick is trying to figure out, well, all these other groups are pulling it off. You know, they're more general. They're not like a Bitcoin niche. Um, they're pulling it off through things like selling merch or um, you know, God knows what, bigger sponsorships. And so the question is just like figuring out a model that sort of makes sense in the long run so that you can do these things at scale more frequently. Um, but uh I know I have faith it'll come together. I think like the pressure's on for us, Isabella, because everyone totally believes in this. And I know I'm gonna like, you know, we'll make a great doc, but like I always get a little nervous because it's like shit now. You know, there's, like, thousands of dollars of people's money that they put into this, and they want to see a
0: great video. Yeah, (laughs) I have no, I've never done a documentary, so I, this is my first documentary, so I I don't know what to expect. Yeah, Isabella, why did you,
1: why did you even do this? You know, Isabella and I have never even met in person. Why did you even commit to this?
0: People think we're crazy. Um, Well, actually, I don't know, I think you called me in July, back in July, and you're like, oh, you're Peruvian. I'm going to shoot a doc in Peru. Um, would you want to join? And I was like, yeah, of course, I would love to. And then what ended up happening was um, I was going to be in Peru during that time anyway, because of my. we were celebrating my grandmother's birthday. And I was like, everything's aligning perfectly for me to go. So it's a good sign. And I haven't questioned it too much. I feel like when people question things too much and then they get themselves super freaked out and they don't end up doing things. You know? That's a
1: lesson for like every person that's ever bought Bitcoin. Like, just buy exactly. it and then ask questions later.
0: <laughs> yeah, people ask too many questions. They're like, where are you going to be staying? What are you going to be doing? I'm like, I don't know. I have no idea, but I know it's going to be fun because you have to have faith in the Bitcoin community. And I exactly. think this is, you meet the coolest people in Bitcoin. And that's why I don't, doubt it too much and the thing is also we have friends in common me and julian like jill talks really well about you and all the people that i've met so i'm like okay he can't be he can be a serial killer
1: <laughs> no not yet what? i'm almost a serial killer if we drop under 10k then i'll, then I'll get <laughs> a little freaky <laughs>
0: in, our, in our second zoom call when we were talking about the project i was like okay julian let's be serious you're not gonna kill me right <laughs> You have to ask the important questions. And yeah. he was like, no, I'm not going to kill you. My name is everywhere.
1: <laughs> I I have to put myself in your shoes. Like I've shot videos with guys and, you know, we don't, we don't care. Like you've been telling me like, oh, you got to be careful around Peru. Like there's people that are dangerous and like there's a lot of stuff going on. You got to get a driver. I'm like, ah, like I was there a year ago. It was okay. And you're like, what are you talking about? So one of us will be the careful one. And one of us yes. will mugged and that person is probably me at the end
2: so hopefully not Um, hopefully no no no. i mean i live in colombia and those things exist here too and i hear it all the time almost every single day um but i mean the reality is it's you know if you're doing the right things and you're being smart about what you're doing you're not likely to create a lot of problems for yourself
0: exactly you're supposed to keep yourself like not put yourself in those situations Like, of course, you're going to be safe if you're not walking around with your phone out, not knowing where you are. Because the thing is, in these countries, do you you know the delivery guys that come in their motorbikes? Mm -hmm. They fake that they're delivery guys and they steal your phone. And they normally, it's like a two people job. One's driving the motorcycle and then you have the other guy in the back and you're walking with your phone and you don't even realize it and boom, they take it out of your hand and you're like, wait, what just happened? And they're gone with your phone. And then you open where to find my phone and it's already in like Hong Kong.
2: <laughs> well, probably.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: Sold right back to China.
0: Right. Yeah. Seriously, back where <laughs> it came from.
2: About having awareness about where you are and what you're doing. And, um, you know, really, I think respecting the culture too. I mean, there's a lot of people that come down here to Colombia, and they're from the U S or they're from Europe and they do not look like they belong here, and they purposely dress however they want, and and they do whatever they want, and they go seeking out all the bad things, um, you know, drugs and parties and and all these things, and then that just starts attracting you know bad problems, and then those turn into bad habits, and then things happen. I've had it happen to friends of mine as well um, in Colombia and other places in Latin America, but I've also you know I've been fortunate not to have those problems, and I've had a lot of friends that have never had them. And it's just about what you do and how you act, you know, accordingly. And, you know, do you, do you put yourself out there as a target for somebody? I've, I've like had the privilege of growing up in, in some of the
1: most like high trust areas. Like (laughs) I lived on islands with like 8,000 people, mostly hippies until I was basically like graduated high school. So just even like moving to the, uh, what islands? Yeah. Yeah, do you know, Island. Do you know Salt Spring Island in, in Canada, like West Coast? No.
0: No. That, <laughs> no. That's super they're cool. not like
1: I'm not they're not like tropical islands. Like they're uh, just like West Coast, like Pacific West is where I grew up. And it's like a very safe place. You don't lock your doors. Uh, there's no like petty crime even. Like ninety percent of the crime that happens on that island is just like domestic stuff, you know. They have like one jail cell for the whole island sort of thing. Um what? if that. If that. Yeah, it's like, it's crazy. And, and and like just moving to Vancouver, like I had to get acquainted with like, okay, people are gonna break in your car if you don't lock your car and like all that stuff. And then I've had some experiences in like Latin American countries. And now I'm like a little bit more acclimatized to all that. But I don't know, you go through like a process, I guess. Canada is like a, a stupidly safe place for the most part. Uh, it's getting a little worse now.
2: I, I love Canada, but I, I couldn't imagine living on an island with like eight thousand people you know i wouldn't want to do anything wrong i wouldn't want to like create a problem or rob somebody because you'd be like oh no no, everyone knows you that's the the problem everyone knows (laughs) you exactly like yeah there's a lot of things going on in latin america another thing i wanted to bring up was um argentina and javier malay which you know was a big shocker for a lot of people and is something that i think will be a huge positive not just for You know people in Argentina that are hoping to turn that country around, but also for Bitcoin across the region. Argentina is a big country with a lot of influence. Uh, One point in the world, they were like the tenth wealthiest country in the world. Um, So you know them going this direction, electing a libertarian for president. um, You know, kicking out the the corrupt politicians and you know moving in this direction um will have a huge effect across the latin american region i'm just curious you know what your guys thoughts are on that how it'll impact bitcoin um you know what what it'll mean i think it's it's historic like there are people that we look
1: back at and we say oh benjamin franklin might have been kind of libertarian um or you know some of the founding fathers and and these early politicians we kind of like rebrand them as libertarian but i don't think i've ever seen anybody who's like openly you know an austrian economist sort of coming out there and saying like yeah it's time to tighten our belts it's time to throw out like the entire political cast uh the state only destroys it doesn't create anything um i mean javier has said some like really bold things for a politician um and to me i was watching him like I was watching him a long time ago and I didn't realize that he had a chance when he first started speaking. I thought, oh, he's another fringe candidate. Like he's like the Ron Paul of, um, of Argentina. But I don't know, out of nowhere, like he just really starts ripping in the polls. He crushes it in this primary in August. He gets second place in this runoff, but then he gets the support of the other right wing party. And then he wins the election as of a couple days ago. And I guess my question for all that, and, and maybe Isabella, um, you have some um, insight on this, is like, it seems like he doesn't have like enough of a coalition of his own party, like La Libertad Avanza or whatever it's called. And he's basically relying on the other right-wing party. It would be like if a libertarian uh, won the presidency in the US, but only had like you know 10% power in Congress and had to rely on the Republicans to get the rest done. The question is, is like, what's gonna fly? Like, I still think dismantling the, the the central bank is still like a very firmly libertarian thing and not quite a conservative thing. That's, so,
0: from my from my understanding, that's what I understood. That yes, he won, but the people in Congress, they're either left or right, and they're a completely different party than his. So he's gonna have to sway his persuasion to one of the two. Parties, it would be like RFK winning in the United States, and there's no third party that is dominating Congress right now. You have to. The well, the thing with the thing with
1: RFK though is like RFK is RFK is sort of in the middle. That's what would make it different. Like I'm sure you could figure it out, but like
0: that is Milay is like, it, it's far true, to the right. But I meant in the party aspect. Like mm. yeah, no, no, no. Milay is crazy, but I meant like. So we can visualize with the parties. You know how RFK, he's like, I'm gonna run as an independent candidate.
2: That mm-hmm. would more
0: or less be I not so much what RFK stands for, uh, because I don't RFK hasn't said anything about the central bank shutting it down. That is true. So but it's kind of interesting to see because obviously Javier Villet hasn't come out as a full Bitcoiner, but his beliefs are very pro Bitcoin.
2: Yeah, I think it's an interesting comparison when you think about it. Uh, Like RFK, for example, he's one of those candidates that is running independently, but he can parlay with both sides of the party. Like he's very likable um, from the right and the left regarding, you know, whatever you believe. Um, He's someone that you can, you know, put a little bit of faith in if you don't like either candidate and he's going to be able to find his way through Congress. He's not going to have his own coalition. He's not going to have a huge libertarian party behind him. But you know he's going to be able to actually get Republicans, Democrats to vote with each other on certain issues, potentially. Um, yeah. The difference with Javier Malay is he wants to blow everything up. Like he's completely anti-establishment, which I do like. Um, he's anti-central bank. You know he, he's very hardline on so many stances. It's going to be very hard for him to work with Congress. That is true, um, and I think that'll will start to show at some point. But it'll be curious to see. Oh how much of his promises he can keep and how much he can actually do in terms of getting rid of the central bank in argentina for example um going get, getting rid of the peso essentially and letting everyone use the us dollar maybe bring in bitcoin at some point like where does he take things and how far does he get before he gets pushed back with that opposition
1: well one thing that i've looked for and i i, I just can't find it is like my question to have your melee is like okay, okay. Clearly, like the the central bank of Argentina is like a gong show, and it's awful. But like, by dollarizing, are you you know explicitly endorsing America's monetary policy because you're stuck to it? Like, once you dollarize, you don't just dollarize for a couple of years. Like, that's a big commitment to get everyone on the dollar. So you're not gonna be able to go back to your own fiscal policy right away. Um, and so I'd like to see him challenge on like, what's the long term goal here? Is the long term goal Like, he's not too deep down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, but like for me, you know, something similar to what Bukele did, which was saying, hey, we're going to do both and you can pick if you want to be a Bitcoiner, you can be a Bitcoiner. If you want to be a dollar person, you can be a dollar person. Um, The conversation started in Argentina with that, but there are a lot of downsides to being dollarized. Like the debts compound and they're much harder to pay off because you can't print Um, the borrowing requirements are a lot more stringent. Like if you look at what happened with Ecuador and El Salvador in the past, it's pretty hard to, uh, just, um, you know, say, ah, we're going to take the dollar now. And then everything fixes itself. Like I I have this question about Kelly as well. It's like, what happens if he's out of there, right? Like, are we going to keep the the Bitcoin stuff in El Salvador? I'm sure he's going to be in there for like 20, 30 years, probably, but I don't, uh, I don't know what happens like post him. And th- and that's the big challenge. Is like, Harry Millet, you know, we're only thinking about him because he just got in, but what is life like after him? Knowing Argentina, like they don't keep their
2: leaders for very long, so. Exactly. That That's if, whether or not he can build any kind of foundation.
0: Milei strategically dollarized Argentina, or is trying to do that to have America as an ally because he's already made it clear. He doesn't want to work with China, Russia, Brazil, any communist country but i also question it i'm like if you're pro bitcoin why go through that hassle to dollarize argentina instead of trying to do what buquena did but sometimes some things are easier said than done i guess i am not a politician i don't know how that would work or how it would play out but i do think he needs to to get argentina out from the gutter that they're in They need to make strong calls that not everybody's going to like and that are extremely, I I wouldn't say like radical, but extremely um, different from what's normal. Like what they've been used to is completely, you know, shocking. So we we'll see. I, gonna play. I remember
2: when I went to Buenos Aires in 2018 and that was right when the currency collapsed like 40% like the biggest drop they had in in decades. Um and there were people that were middle class living out on the street, people selling their their houses and their apartments. They've had for generations, they couldn't afford anymore. Um th- everything was barricaded. The U.S. dollar went so far; I could buy like a whole meal for like two dollars. Um, I remember I, I walked. I, I really wanted to test it out, so I walked to the Four Seasons Hotel downtown in Buenos Aires, and I sat down and had a salad and wine and bread, and and it was awesome. And it was nice, and I, the whole classy, bougie Four Seasons experience. Right? It, it cost me ten dollars. The whole thing cost me ten dollars. What? And at That's that point awesome. in time, I was like it's awesome for me, but I felt so bad for the people there. Like if I can go across the street to a normal restaurant and get a quesadilla and a couple beers and pay $2, you know, that's terrible. Like it's great to have those deals and to feel like your dollar goes that far, but imagine how it is for the people that live there and them not being able to really make enough money to live. Um, So if that's how it was in 2018, I can't really imagine at all how it is now and it's got to be way worse. So you know
1: well well the the linchpin the linchpin, of all that stuff is like Argentina for a while has had like the blue rate and then the the gray rate or black rate or whatever um the government would say this is what you know how many u s dollars a peso will get, and then the the free market would say it's a little different. They have not updated their blue rate in months, and the peso is like it's it's like it's a mat. They just let go. They just stop saying, "Hey, we're gonna like figure out the conversion process." Just like, nope. Here's the blue rate. I don't know how you access that blue rate. It's great if you want to sell pesos into dollars, I guess, because you don't have to sell as many pesos. Um, But yeah, like they just you can just you can look at that chart, the gap between the blue rate and the and the black market rate, and it's just all of a sudden the blue rate just stopped tracking anything. And then the black market rate just ripped. So it's like, it's like negligence in one chart
2: from like a, like a political level for sure. Um, before we start wrapping it up, where can people, you know, keep up with what you guys are doing? I know you both produce a lot of content. uh, you both have different channels and mediums where you're, you know, promoting Bitcoin and talking about the industry. Where can people find you guys online?
1: Um, for me, you can
2: look up Kinetic
1: Finance. I'm on YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, Nostr. I don't know how you find me on Nostr. I guess try and find me on Nostr, Kinetic Finance. Um, but I do a bunch of stuff. So, like, I have these documentaries, like this one, uh, but I also do these like one minute TikTok, uh, you know, Bitcoin and 60 second breakdown things every twice a week or so. Um, but yeah, playing around with all different formats, all like exclusively video stuff. So, anywhere on there. Awesome.
0: Um, for me, you can find me on Twitter, Isabella SG3. And then yeah, Nasser, try find me on there. And that's pretty much it.
2: <laughs> awesome. And I we'll also put-
0: do the show Bitcoin Backstage for Bitcoin magazine. That it airs every Friday.
2: We'll we'll put all the links in the description for the episode down below so people can hopefully find everything. Um, but uh, guys, thanks for taking the time to come on. Really do appreciate you guys making the time and working around things logistically with Wi Fi and connection and stuff like that. (laughs) Um, good luck on your guys' trip down to Peru in a couple days. Um, very excited to hear about it and what you guys learn and experience. And uh, let's keep in touch in the meantime. Awesome, thanks for having us, Brandon.